Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens and welcome to the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Open Mainframe Project, a Linux Foundation collaborative project focused on open source adoption on the mainframe platform. I'm joined today by Kip Twitchell. Hey, Kip, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Kip, as we do with all the guests on the show, can you just give us a little bit of an overview of your role and kind of where you fit within um, IBM as an organization? Yeah, thanks. So I've, um, I come to IBM, I came into IBM in 2002 with a purchase, uh, IBM purchased the consulting firm from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, so I've been in a consulting role actually my entire career. I actually, I guess I did a couple of years of audit straight out of school with Pricewaterhouse, but then transferred over to the consulting division. So I just uh, first of last year celebrated my 30th year of not having changed jobs, even though I changed companies. And a good deal of that time has ended up being on the mainframe, but not exclusively the mainframe. For those of our listeners that aren't able to see Kip, he must have started his career age five or six for IBM because he certainly doesn't look old enough to be uh, celebrating that level of anniversary. But no, that, that's fantastic, Kip. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing today, what the current role looks like. I think there's going to be some interesting stuff as you sort of unpack that for the listeners, but maybe just give us a role, give us a view of what your role looks like today. Well, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be part of the Open Mainframe Project podcast. I've learned in the last five years, became more aware of open source actually having been a little bit frustrated with the mainframe a little bit and the ability to change it five years ago. And I went off and did retrained myself, uh, decided I had to pick up code again to be able to prototype some new types of systems that I could not get, uh, get leverage and get movement on those. And I did everything, uh, I went, you know, like you do on PC, you just go to the, the tooling that's available to you to use it. And uh, that's where I went. Well. In that process, I just got immersed into open source and saw the power of open source and community and the ability to, to provision and test and then decide what to do with it, right? A uh, year and a half ago, I said, you know, this, this uh, tooling that I've been using for a good portion of my career on and off in different ways, SAFR and IBM's call, Scalable Architect for Financial Reporting, the open mainframe project name is Geneva ERS. Um, I, I said, this is going to have some power. In fact, we had considered divesting IBM of the tooling in 2002. Bob Zertek at Essential uh, had us out to talk about potentially buying it. And in 2002, he said to me, Kip, have you considered open sourcing your tool in 2002? And I said, why would we do that? I, I just had no background on open source. He said, I don't know. So it's an idea that came to me. Well, it took me 15, 20 years <laughs> to listen to Bob. And so last year, we, um, I proposed inside of IBM that we should consider open sourcing it. We approached our customers and they said, that would be a great idea. Um, we're dependent upon this. We'd like it to grow. We think there's power in it. We'd like to add community to it. So we uh, in IBM decided to do the donation. We then were thinking about how to do the open source and got connected to the open mainframe project and John Murtek. And uh, July went before the, the board and they said, mainframe project. Yeah, we'd like to have this be part of the open mainframe project. And so we went forward and, and uh, 
and I'm the chair of the technical steering committee for Geneva ERS. We set up the community. We have people contributing now, and it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of excitement and growth, and I can see how it's going to transform the mainframe in, in years to come. This open source power of community, renew, refresh, and revitalize it. So if you can, Kip, I've got a perspective on this from being involved in the original donation um, back when we set the project up. But how are you? How did you see IBM's reaction to that donation? You know, we, we obviously sell licensed you know, software, but it, but it'd be I'd be keen to see whether things have changed maybe over the last five years and and get your perspective. Well, yeah, it's interesting. In some respects, Geneva ERS has never been supported by licensed uh, sales. It's always been a services asset. So, in some respects, we've got twenty years of open source kind of ways of working because we go in with customers when they couldn't solve a problem and they use a lot of different commercial packages to try to solve the problem. And, and often they, they would default to Geneva ERS as the solution because they needed scale in their reporting. Well, we'd bring it in and in a services setting in, in installing often ERP systems or building other systems, we would talk to them about what they needed to do. And if we found a feature that the tool didn't have, we would add it as part of the services contract. So our, our feature set was always driven by customer demand, but it was customer demand of one that we would add the tooling into that. So when we get to the open source side of things, there wasn't a big um, change that we had to make in the business model because it's always been supported in that sort of collaborative effort with customers. I've told people though that, you know, IBM processes can be very difficult to go through. This the open source contribution approval was like falling through doors. I've uh, that was a very simple process to go get approval uh, of the process. People understood what it was, how it worked, and uh, the approval really didn't take very long at all. It was it was co quite surprising to me. So it's uh, so things have changed in the last five years by the sound of it, because it wasn't like that five years ago, which I suppose kind of speaks to IBM's journey in the open source space. So. Now you've got the code donated, it's, you've built a community around it. What are you seeing as that adoption? What are you seeing as kind of, is the community starting to realize this thing is here? You're getting commits, you're getting new code. Talk to me a little about the vibrancy and what you're seeing. So we're, we're adding new team members and, and they're joining on. We don't have new customers using the tooling yet. So it's still kind of from the, the historical people that have been involved that are, are contributing their time to it. Where we're going though, we're, we're having to make some fairly substantial changes in order to make it open source using a little bit of tooling involved in it that we found afterwards isn't compatible with our license. And so we're making some changes. We've also come up with some ideas of how we need to integrate more with other open source. One of the key packages that we think there's a relationship between Geneva RS is Apache Spark. And you know, Apache Spark now in the Isota package is available on Z. So there's some relationships between what we do that's a little bit unique, but some things that Apache Spark does that is related to what we do and could enhance what Geneva ERS does. So our work right now as the team is about envisioning that future and making some of those fundamental changes where we're actually gonna to go to perhaps a language interface instead of more of a structured programming interface for the development of SAFR processes. The excitement around that and the influence we're starting to have about 
needing places to do ZOS work on public clouds to have community settings um, is is exciting to us, and um, and we we're, we're having a lot of a uh, lot of interaction and and energy coming from our work as a community. I think. So if you were to wind the clock forward a couple of years on this particular community and this product, where would where would you see what would success look like, I suppose? What would what would be a good set of outcomes that you would be looking back on and reflecting on? You know, I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna answer that question a bit more expansively than what you intended, perhaps. One of my passions that I've worked on all of my career is around financial ledgers. If if you and I were to go back and, and be developers in the, you know, a, a senior developers in the 1970s, we would have completely understood the data patterns involved in a ledger. A ledger takes transactions and on a periodic basis, it makes balances out of those. And the balances are what, are what drives business forward. It incorporates all of the history that goes on with the transaction is all encapsulated in the balance. When you log into your financial, when you log into your bank or your credit card, the first number you're shown is the balance. Well, that process of turning transactions into balances, because all of that stuff was automated so early, there's most people have forgotten that that's what the basic pattern of a ledger is, a, a business system, a financial system is really a ledger at its core. And you even have things like blockchain that call themselves distributed ledger and they have no posting processes. And it's, uh, it's amazing to me how far we've gone away from that basic understanding of this. The thing that's interesting to me is that the, the, the systems that haven't migrated out off, to, off of Z are these large business systems. And a lot of it is because of that pattern of processing is so powerful on Z, on the mainframe, is why many of them have not migrated off. So where we're having an impact, I think, and we will continue to have an impact is about thinking about those large business systems, these large financial ledgers, how to enhance and, and drive them down to lower levels of detail than we historically did, because now we have so much more computing capacity, the cost is lower, our need for data is greater. So changing these systems that were architected in the 70s and 80s to enhance them, but not running away, not losing the key value that comes from ledger-like processing. Geneva ERS is positioned, it's not required to do a ledger, but it enables ledgers in a very different way. So it's gonna be interesting to me to see if you know, in, in three, four years time, we're starting to see companies taking some of their legacy systems that aren't what they would call like a, a strategic IP asset, maybe something doing accounts payable or accounts receivable or fixed assets that they're doing on the mainframe, contributing that source code out open source and having other companies that are have similar type systems doing similar business functions starting to work in an open source manner on those kinds of applications that we've had difficulty in changing and renewing and refreshing because now people will see the power of of community where key key resources inside these business systems there's you know two or three people that know these very key systems and they're always isolated if they can talk to two or three people similar to them in another company, you'll start to unlock ideas and energy out of those sets of people by connecting them across company lines. And we'll start to renew these business systems that really have, have not changed in, in 
a couple of decades in very substantial ways. You're right, Kip. That was a lot more expansive an answer I was looking for, but I'm, I think it's it's really fascinating talking about and hearing you sort of describe how you see the opening up of these core systems, the opening up of people as they look at these core business functions. I think if you'd have said those things four or five years ago, you'd have it would have been a crazy discussion. But I think now you look at the amount of contributions we've had into the Open Mainframe project over the last five years, that's taking hold in the mainframe community. And, and I think that mindset with what we're doing here as a project gives us just the perfect chance to be that umbrella, that, that home for those projects, just give them a place to come and, and provide uh, all of the sort of guardrails and infrastructure for them to flourish. So yes. no, it, it, it's interesting the way you describe it. I think this market's changing through the adoption of open sourcing, probably what was the poster child for a closed source system. We're seeing open source methodologies take hold. So no, it's really interesting. Well, and you, you know, you know that open source really the first instance of this kind of share. So it started with that sharing mindset, became kind of closed. The the reaction to the margins involved and the cost involved of proprietary systems, open source was a reaction to that. And so you see a a, a, a bell curve where we're now moving back to a, a different kind of cost model that's a shared community way of doing things. It's natural that the power though of Z, the underlying infrastructure, well, I just to take a moment more in my open mainframe project summit video that I released that week, I said, you know, when you go to cloud-based systems, the, the way the system deals with, um, with the failure rates on cloud-based systems is through redundancy. You know, you, you run multiples of these things and if one of them fails, then you're okay because other things. Well, for these core financial systems, these business systems, redundancy adds complexity to the business process. And the business process for these, these the, the processing requirements, the functional requirements for these things are more complex already. So when you add redundancy on there, it just, it makes it too complex. And that's often why these systems don't get migrated off because the, the engineering that went into Z to drive the error rates to zero right, uh, is, is what enables these business applications to flourish and do what they do. So opening that power up of, of having error rates near zero, which is what Z is about, but an open source mindset to the development and community is what will allow this transition to happen, I think. So Kippers, and, and I couldn't agree more, I think we're at an inflection point. One of the questions I always ask our guests on here is, we, you mentioned that you were 30 years plus in your career and we joked that you, you must be in your mid thirties because you started very young at IBM. Um, what advice would you maybe give to your younger self? You've got the chance to go back and through um, the sort of joys of Hollywood, go back and chat to your younger self just as you're embarking it on your career from leaving college. What would you be saying We've got a lot of younger listeners and I ask this question and it always gets some interesting feedback. Yeah. So, you know, you, as you asked that, there was an article I read um, by a, a person that had set up multiple businesses 
And he, in giving advice to college students, he said, you know, you can't, you, it's really hard for you to imagine the, how long it really takes to set up a business, how long it takes to do things right, right? Um, in, a, in a certain sense, I've, I've never really aspired to set up my own business, but I have aspired to have this kind of, of community work involvement. And I've had it at different times through my career. But, but being able to work in the open source, set up the open source community and, and do that is doing it in a much fuller sense than I've done it before. Well, you know, that took me a long time to get to. So I told somebody a few years ago that you know, sometimes people think that patience really is a weakness in a leader, that leaders need to drive and, and be demanding and that sort of thing. I suggested to them, I said, you know, a patient person can demand activity when activity is needed, but an impatient person can't be patient when patience is the only thing that will solve the problem. A patient person can be patient when that's the only thing that will solve the problem. So if you're going to grow your career, there's going to be times where you have to be patient. I've had to learn how to, to work through periods where I wasn't at the center of problems. <laughs> And I was working on things that, that didn't seem all that important and, and, and that I had to strengthen my own capabilities. That's one thing that that's, I think that, that in my career that would have been helpful for me to, to at those times, be more patient because it, it takes a long time to, to really have, you know, to grow something that's, a, if you have a big vision, it takes a long time to get there. I think that's fantastic feedback. I think, as you say, it goes counter to what a lot of people would say as advice, move fast, fail fast, take chances, move move to different roles is the classic feedback you get given. But I think that message of patience, especially if you're looking to build a long-term career in a particular field, I, I think that makes sense and, and maybe would suit some of our listeners who don't buy into that kind of other feedback they've been given and, and that doesn't naturally match their style. So now that's interesting. It, it, just the way you put it, Kip, kind of resonated with me. So as we look to wrap up, kind of one final question I tend to ask is, where do you see the mainframe as a platform, say three to five years out from now? I know as we were talking before the show, you've got potentially a longer horizon than that, but maybe just for the listeners frame what you think about the platform sort of three to five years out from where it is today. Yeah, so, so I said recently, I said the interesting connection point, open source is so much more prevalent on Linux, right? It comes from a, it, the open source community developed more from that side, whereas ZOS specifically was more proprietary involved. The, the interesting thing on the mainframe to me is Unix system services and how that in a certain sense, it's not necessarily Linux, but it has a close relationship to Linux, right? How that environment provides a, a bridge that the activity on the Linux side of things going through that space is going to, I think, affect ZOS more directly. Not that it's the only route by which it goes, right? GitHub directly into ISPF <laughs> and, and Jenkins and all of these build tools will come from different routes than that route to go affect ZOS. But that migration of functionality and basically pulling people across in that 
you know, people coming across from Linux into Unix system services will then begin to get access into ZOS and start to learn the unique features of ZOS, the ones that they have to learn. They won't need to learn all of them. Some of them will be hidden from their access because they'll just be working, you know, Zoe sees that today. People don't have to become full mainframers to develop. So that that process is going to bring new kinds of skills, new sorts of capabilities onto the mainframe, open it up to new kinds of developers. And those those kinds of additions will start to create a, an interesting community of, uh, of, of in the in the ZOS space and do a, a fairly substantial transition in that space over the next five years, I think. Yeah, I, th I tend to agree. I think where we're seeing the Zoe community go, the, the, uh, that's seeming to pull a lot of people into the platform who maybe weren't mainframers or, or maybe were developers, but but weren't mainframe savvy, it's lowering that bar to entry. So I think the more things we can do to open the platform and, and, and make it less special in the wrong way, keep the special in the right way, but remove the special in the wrong way and, and make it an easier platform for people to interact with, I think the better. I so keep react. us... Just just one point on that. The thing that the the TAC committee, as they approved Geneva ERS, they said, the open source mainframe committee, they said, Geneva is interesting because it does transaction processing. It's dealing with the heart of what Z is, as opposed to just user interface and build processes. We need more open source things that deal right at the heart, particularly of batch processing. Batch is going to go to streaming in some cases, but in some cases, batch is still very efficient. That's a space where the transition and batch is where analytical connects transact to transaction processing. That space is the place that, that will have real growth because Z is so powerful in that space. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So as we look to wrap up, Kip, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? And by way of parting comments, is there anything else that we've maybe missed in, in our time together today? You know, it, it, I'd suggest finding a, a little bit of time to volunteer to an open source community is something that will pay dividends for you over a long period of time. Even if it's an hour a week, just spend one hour a week uh, outside of whatever your crushing business work obligations are. On, on some open source community, if it's just reading about things or maybe building some documentation, editing something, building a little utility, giving some testing feedback, that sort of doing that sort of work will start to transition who you are if you're a mainframe developer and will start to pay you dividends over a very long period of time as you grow because it'll, it'll suck you in and you'll, you'll change how you develop and what you know. Well, I think I couldn't think of a better way to wrap the I'm a Mainframer um, podcast up, Kip. So thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me, Stephen. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast. My name's Stephen Dickens. If you'd like the show, please click and subscribe in the links below. Take a couple of moments to give us a five-star rating. That always helps with our rankings. And I'll look forward to speaking to you again on the next episode of the I'm a Mainframer podcast.